Happy New Year, everyone, on this historic first episode of Season 3 of the Sports Deli Podcast, where everyone deserves a seat at the table. Val Whiting, two-time national champ and ABL and WNBA star, and I welcome these incredible women, these groundbreaking leading ladies, board members of Legends of the Ball, or LOB, did something that had never been done before in the history of the United States, and today you will hear the rest of their stories. In 173 days, we will celebrate public law number 92-318, which states in part that no person shall be discriminated against because of their sex, gender, and or sexual orientation now known as Title IX. On June 23rd, 1972, President Richard Nixon signed this historic federal civil rights law. And six years, five months, and 16 days later, 15,729 days or 43 years ago, on December 9th, 1978, these pioneers were a part of the first ever professional women's basketball game in the history of the United States. And in front of nearly 8,000 fans in Milwaukee Arena, the Chicago Hustle and the Milwaukee Does made history. And because of them and their sorority of sisters, these trailblazers of the original W, the WBL. Oh my God, I can't believe you said that. The Women's Basketball League. You know how we do it here in the sports deli. Yeah, well, I had the, our, I, yeah. <laughs> lay the foundation for so many girls and women to follow their dreams. Because of the courage of the WBL, the ABL, the American Basketball League, which my co-host Val Whiting was a member of, was born, which led to the birth of the WNBA, which just celebrated its historic 25th season. The WBL earned recognition from the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame in Nashville, Tennessee in 2018 as trailblazers of the game. You can find them at legendsoftheballinc.org on Instagram at legends underscore of underscore the underscore ball underscore inc. <laughs> and <laughs> there's a lot of profiles at Women X Community and on Twitter at legends underscore lob Inc. And uh, with that being said, ladies, uh, truly humbled and honored that uh, that you're here with us today. Welcome to the Sports Deli, where everyone deserves a seat at the table, especially all of you. Thank you so much Thank for you. having us, Michael. What a nice uh, introduction, Michael. Oh, Thank I appreciate you. it. It's, oh. uh, you know, Val, and I, Val just asked me the question, are we going to do that in post-production? And I used to do that. And I don't do it anymore because even though it's a it's a, it's a little lengthy, uh, just the reactions, as you noticed, are worth the price of admission. <laughs> Elizabeth, you wanted to say something? Uh, this is Elizabeth Galloway McQuitter, everybody. She played for the Chicago Hustle, and we'll find out a little bit more about her later. But uh, she is the president of Legends of the Ball, and uh, the floor is yours. Go ahead, Elizabeth. Michael, I just wanted to tell the group, because um, I was chatting with Val before. Val Whiting, for those of you who may or may not know, played at Stanford. Um, I've watched Val throughout her collegiate career and her uh, professional career. And that, and I follow her. Yeah, I've, I've followed Val's career through college and pro. And I've been looking at your, I was laughing recently at one of your posts the pregame ritual so oh really <laughs> right, before, right before you have to right before the game you know what you have to do right before yeah the game. <laughs> val you can't act surprised you, you, you act val we all we all went through that we elizabeth all... i told her that she needs to start rapping on her tiktok because she's got oh, so I many young it. followers yeah, you, val. 
You do? And see, yes. And see, here's the thing, Val. I think we're on the verge of 50 years of Title IX, and we just lost Dr. Christine Grant, one of the pioneers of Title IX. She hired Miss uh -huh. Stringer at Iowa. And uh, Vivian went on to have a great career at Iowa and also uh, took them to the final four, the only time they've been to the final four. And she's one of those that I wanna, I wanna say that our group remembers and acknowledges those who came before us. And I think that's the disconnect that we're trying to correct. The, the current groups that don't identify, know about or acknowledge us. And until we connect those dots, uh, women's basketball, and we all, we often say you'll become the new forgotten. So the the we're forgotten in name, but the, the, there's also a group. I had groups don't know who Cheryl Swoops or Cynthia Cooper is, you know. So until the women go back and fix that, but um, Dr. Grant, just to get back to that, um, was one of those groups of women that we all knew about when we started coaching, when we got into coaching, and we were very familiar with her. Um, I have a coach who was in that same realm, Fran Garman. And um, there's, we've got to get their history now. Just like we're trying to tell our history while we're here to tell it and hear it from those who lived it. Um, we've got to get the history of these women and, and men, you know, who lived it. So we definitely pay homage to her. And uh, that wow. age group. And this is why it's so important to get the, this is, I guess, what we're basing our, one of our main stories on. We're in our 60s, you know, and then we know the women who came before us. And you're losing these historians. So what's happening is we're not connecting the dots right. to the game the way it is today. And Val, I don't know, and we can't blame the, the young women who came after us. Oh, we can hold them accountable to a point because you can research and find, but until we connect the dots and show this history, and I don't like to pattern everything after the man, the men go back and honor and pay homage. They know who created this history and this game for them. And yeah. the women don't do that. Until you get the information from the storytellers, you're missing out. So just so you guys know, Judy Sweet is here. Judy Sweet was the first ever women's president of the NCAA. And so I invited her to be here. She's an ama amazing presence in this space. Mm -hmm. And I uh, just felt like uh, uh, oh, she's she here to celebrate this amazing uh, accomplishment of all of you. Hi, Judy. Uh everyone congratulations this is awesome thank you thank you and judy so honored that you're here because you're one of the groups that um we definitely want to uh get in touch with michael thank you for inviting me secondly i feel an attachment to all of you for what you've done you have been pioneers thirdly i'm from milwaukee so that has <laughs> significance uh -huh. Fourth, I was in the audience when Stanford won the national championship. So Val, I've been a fan for a long time and I really appreciate everything that you've done. And lastly, Christine Grant was our North star and we need to celebrate everything that she did to make it possible for girls and women to have the opportunities that they've had. So thank you for allowing me to be here. Trish, uh, Patricia Roberts, uh, you want to jump in? Go ahead. Um, I would also like to say uh, I was really saddened to hear about Dr. Grant. Uh, when I was the head coach at the University of Michigan, being in the Big Ten, we always went to Iowa each year. And every year we went to Iowa, she 
was just so hospitable and uh, was always very nice and kind to me whenever we came into the arena. And to Val, um, I was on the coaching staff when you played in the Olympic Festival up in uh, Minnesota. (laughs) So I got to know Val pretty good. Just a a great person and a good athlete. Yes. Before you, um, everyone was on and I saw your name on the board. I was like, she's my most favorite people I've ever played for. But I mean, I I literally said that to Mike. I was like, oh my goodness. Well, I don't know if you realize this, but you had a big um, impact on on me as as an athlete. Wow. Wow. You really did. Thank you. That's amazing. Thank you. It's a small basketball world. Yes, it (laughs) really is. I know Judy wants to jump in, but I, we just, Molly, welcome. Honored that you're here. Molly Bolin-Kasmer. She was better known as Machine Gun Molly. And she had such an impact in the WBL. Uh, and uh, she played all three years in the WBL. So she's part of the 30 Club, uh, which is the number of women who played all three years in the WBL. So it was not that many. And she was a three-time All-Star. And she was a... Uh, co-MVP with Ann Myers, the famous Ann Myers, during the second season of the league. And she holds the single game scoring record of 55 points and season average of 32.8. Incredible. So welcome. You look amazing. Uh, You've joined the the, uh, group with the glasses on, so that's cool. We have to have them. Like that. <laughs> right. No, I need them too. Sometimes don't don't get it don't get it twisted. But you know, we talked about earlier before I let Judy jump on um, about the disconnect between the current players, and I've had a number of uh, current players, future players from the W on, and some will be coming on in the future. And uh, Crystal Bradford uh, has played in the WNBA t- at two different stints. And so I invited her because she and I uh, connected uh, for some different reasons. And I just find her to be an amazing uh, person. And so she agreed to come on and uh, show her respect. And, and this is one of the ways where we can bridge this gap is yes. to have some of the old with the new. And so Crystal, I just want to give you the floor to say anything that you want to say to these amazing women. Hi, Crystal. Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Happy New Year. Same to you. Absolutely. First of all, I feel blessed to be a, um, you know, a part of this call um, with so many legends. Um, you know, when I yeah. first got to the league, I know it was um, one of the first things my coaches asked us when we were in the locker room. He said, um, name five players from the previous, uh, just from growing up watching play. And I, and I thought, and I said, wow, I can't really name five players. And um I just thought that was really interesting and how important it is for us to know our history and wanting to be, you know, legends in the league or even just, you know, just being a part of it is so important to know our history. So um, I'm just honored to be here, you guys, if you guys have any questions for me, but really I'm just a fly on the wall, just listening to you guys. Um, (laughs) Crystal, do you think, do you think if he had asked that question of a young uh, male player, they could have done that? A hundred percent. I could have done it. Like the women that, and you, and that's the other thing Annie Myers speaks to all the time. We, we make mm-hmm. the men our heroes of that era and we were there and you did have sheroes and who were there. But if you asked a young male the same thing, he could name them. And, and like you said, a young female to name five males, there's something inherently wrong with that. You, and you know what I think too? I think 
you know, when our league was starting or, you know, when it was getting started, I think our league was very much respected um, with, mm -hmm. the, you know, when it first started and then the all-star mm -hmm. games, like when you look back at that and see like clips, you saw the NBA working so much with the W, like whether it was all-star games, you just saw them together. Like it was commercials and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think our league is declining, but um, I, I honestly think it's it's growing to be honest, but um, it is. just far, you know, far as that aspect. And just like, if you guys are in the stands, and we're playing, I should, you know, know, know you by face recognition as well, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I'm interested with getting to know the legends and <clears throat> any advice you guys could give me in any day, I, I can, I'm always open for it because um, I went to a mid-major and a lot of players that I see now in the league are, are not the players I saw in college. Mm -hmm. so. I just, I just want to state for the record, mm -hmm. Crystal's, Crystal's going to come on eventually. I watched her highlight video, and as a professional basketball skills trainer, I have not seen someone that skilled, uh, maybe in the history of the league. And since so, you all. since then, <laughs> right? Since you all. Uh, so that being said, Judy, go ahead, jump in, and uh, finish that thought. Um, I want to hear all of your stories and see if there's a way that I can help you with whatever your goals are. I do want to just make one other comment about Christine Grant because she was a leader in so many ways. And mm -hmm. if you Google her, if you really don't know her story, you need to learn her story. Mm -hmm. And some of the other pioneers, Charlotte West, yes, the two of them West. were a dynamic duo. They used to talk mm -hmm. about the history of women's sports in which you were included and Title IX. And it's an education that all young people, and I'm not saying just young women, all young people need to know that history. We're only 50 years old, but yet we're 50 years old. And there's been some progress, but there's so much more to do. And at 50 years old, we should be further ahead than we are right now. So I want to hear your stories. Why don't we go through the board and just give a, I don't want to take over, let me, but I was just wanting, I brought them on because I wanted, they, it's such a dynamic group. I, I brag about this group all the time. And if you saw their bios, you can see that these are just on the legends of the ball board. We have some of the most decorated players in the history of the game. And Molly, why don't you, why don't you jump in and, and pour into you know, the people that are listening, uh, you know, we're in 29 countries, we've had nearly 10,000 people listen to our show. And, you know, this is going to be around for a long time. So no matter if someone listens tomorrow, or in 20 years, you know, this is going to be something that, uh, you know, I feel like will resonate with people for a long time. Molly Bolin Kasmer, she was better known as Machine Gun Molly. And she had such an impact in the WBL. Uh, and uh, she played all three years in the WBL. So she's part of the 30 Club, uh, which is the number of women who played all three years in the WBL. So it was not that many. And she was a three-time All-Star. And she was a uh, co-MVP with Ann Myers, the famous Ann Myers, during the second season of the league. And she holds the single-game scoring record of 55 points and season average of 32.8 incredible so welcome that's that's awesome thank you so much for having us on i think what we are also as Liz was saying, we're a board first 
You know, we, we were the first to do a lot of things, including uh, the first generation to really take Title IX to another level with the first women's professional basketball league in the United States. And I was the first player signed to a contract in June of 1978. And the first team was the Iowa Cornets, owned by George Nissen, who invented the trampoline. So there's some real interesting uh, wow. trivia for you. New. And then also um, that summer to launch the Cornets, we shot a Hollywood movie with Pete Maravich. Um, that was, went straight to video, but it was a lot of fun. Basically, and I assigned myself to be Pete Maravich's driver to and from the set. So <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And wow. from there, you know, we just, we knew that we were starting something new and special and um, even at, I was 20 years old when I signed my first contract because I only played two consecutive, non-consecutive seasons of college ball before I turned pro. So I was 20 years old, one of the youngest uh, players in the league. And still, um, I just had a real grasp of the fact that we were paving the way for our future in uh, women's basketball. So, you know, from there, we had three glorious seasons, really. Um, I played two years for Cornets, one year. Um, I went with San Francisco after the Cornets didn't, uh, weren't able to fill the team in year three. And, um, and then from there, I basically got uh, really motivated to try to get women's pro basketball back on the map. I was involved with five different attempts to start a women's pro league just prior to the WNBA. So I was an advocate and constantly because I wanted to play. and. When the pro league went away, I basically was a pro without a league and I had to play um, three and three tournaments. I played in men's leagues. I played wherever I got the chance to play, but mostly it was against guys. And um, I was unable to go overseas because I um, had a small son that I won in a custody battle after getting him taken away because of my basketball career. And I got him back in Supreme Court. And um, wow, you know, that was that was a. A real challenging time, but we're all just so proud to have been the trailblazers and the pioneers for the women's game, especially for to see what the WNBA has picked it up and carried it on and, you know, has really uh, made this all worthwhile and makes it, our history more special because of the success the players today have, have brought to the game. When you were growing up in the 60s, there was more assassinations than there were professional women's sports of any kind. And so, you know, it wasn't something that was encouraged or supported. And I just find it that alone completely fascinating that you continued to follow your dreams and were supported by, there had to be people in your lives that were supporting you, whether it was family or coaches who were very influential in my life that said, don't listen to anybody. But I, I basically had to overcome a lot of objections um, to my playing because I was married and had an uh, 18-month-old when I signed my contract. I was told not to do it. So I went against the grain pretty much. I'm from Iowa, um, very conservative area but girls basketball is hugely popular and successful there. And I knew what it was like to be successful and be a star in, uh, in that sport. And I wanted to continue that with the WBL. And I think that that more than anything is that tradition of success in Iowa is what I brought with me into the WBL to know that it could be done, that we could overcome all the naysayers and all the negativity and that you know, we were there to make it happen. And, you know, we had, to, we had to figure out what's it like to be a pro? How do we act? How do we dress? What do we do? Mm. You know, so we were making those decisions along the way of 
we were establishing, um, you know, being women professional athletes at a time where you're right, there were very few role models at that time. And I know that resonates with Judy, especially, you know, she was not only the first female president of the NCAA, but when she was at the University of California, San Diego, UCSD as athletic director, as she shared the story here in the sports deli, uh, she got more backlash, hate mail, real hate mail uh, for taking a man's job, uh, you know, and now, you know, we see where we've come because of, you know, the amazing and courageous women like you. Uh, and, you know, Judy is another one that was a pioneer and paved the way. So who, who wants to uh, piggyback what Molly was talking about? Molly, thanks for jumping in. I know you're busy. Thanks, today. Molly. Charlene, go ahead. I can kind of pick up on, pick up uh, from there because uh, I'm Charlene McCorda Jackson and I kind of want to pick it back on Molly, but I also want to address the fact that Crystal said that she played at a mid-major school and she had, and you talked about her uh, video and how hard she worked, how skilled she was. Uh, as a coming from an HBCU uh, and um, not having the recognition, uh, even though when I was in college, we played against Mercer University from Albany State College. We played against Mercer University. We played against University of Georgia. We played against Florida State because my college coach had the mindset that if you want to be among the best, you need to play the best. And that also State uh, uh, University. So we played against schools uh, that uh, would would show what kind what our personnel makeup was. And my coach was a major advocate for Title IX. She she talked to us about it. She promoted it uh, in conference. Um, meetings and she had a, a group of us to sit in on some of those meetings. Uh, so Chris, I understand that not coming from the elite, how, how much more you have to work uh, to develop those skills and to get to where you would like to be. Uh, so with that said, as far as what Molly had to say, I was encouraged by my college coach. Coming out of, out of college, I had finished up my requirement. I knew I was ready to graduate and I was gonna move forward with my life. I had no clue about wanting to play in the league. And my coach said, this is a grand opportunity for women and you need to jump on it. And mind you, I was drafted in the fifth round. That's, uh, there were only seven rounds. Drafted in the fifth round of the league. And I was drafted to the Washington Metros, which only lasted until December. Following that, I was picked up in the first round of the dispersed draft. Uh, I was the first one selected from that team to play for the Milwaukee Doe's. And so um, though I, I went in there, you know, with no expectations, uh, just having like Crystal again, having worked hard to become a better player uh, every single practice, every single time. And my coach taught us and pushed us to be the, to work hard, to be the best. So uh, that helped me uh, to be able to uh, move forward in the league. Uh, and so uh, I can kind of attest to the fact that I had good support and coming from that, that uh, university, that, from that college, uh, HBCU, I had to make my name, myself known in the league. And, um, you know, I, and as a result of that, I was able to do some of the things that accomplishments that I was able to accomplish. Shar was the uh, MVP of the uh, all-star game the second year and all and an all-pro all-star doesn't matter where you come from just what you do with it so yeah. sorry i did have one question i wanted to ask oh. you so um <clears throat> hi nice uh for, <laughs> as far as the hbcu that's nice i don't know anybody that actually came from an hbcu but what i wanted to ask was that um 
was mental health important then? Um, were there people speaking out about mental health? Because I know you guys spoke on leadership and how it wasn't um, as prevalent as um, the leaders are put in the media now. Were there um, true leaders that spoke on mental health um, during you guys' time? Because I know Molly was speaking on the fact that she had to you know, battle through um, custody for her child. So things like that really um, affect, affect you as a, a, a professional, whether it's on or off the court. Elizabeth, go ahead, jump in. I would say no. And I'm, the first thing I thought of was the, the racism we experienced. There was no mental health. I mean, uh, but we did have a support system and our coach, Doug Bruno, and, and our one of our GMs, uh, Chuck Schreiber and John Garrity, but mostly in Doug and our teammates. But there, I don't, and y'all can jump on this. I'm just saying no, and I'll leave it at that. I did not I didn't have that support uh, in some other capacity or entity other than being strong-willed and supporting each other. Me and my best friend who went through it uh, as the first two African-Americans on the hustle that first year. Elizabeth, do you think that was because of the culture of shut up and dribble? You're on a scholarship, just play ball. Or do you think that was because culturally in the black and brown community, it was not only taboo, but you might get roasted if something was wrong with you and it wasn't normalized back then i think all you have to do is look across the board at the era not just not just the wbl but the way things were in society and there's there's your answer you know what did women have in any realm as far as support or acknowledgement of issues being a mother uh going through racism going what did anybody have during that time so that's that's your answer Charlene, go ahead. Requested because by the time I got to Chicago Hustle, because of what Liz and uh, Deb uh, went through prior to me getting there, it, uh, it helped them to be more uh, willing to go the extra uh, to, to make sure that I had what I needed by the time I got there that second year. So uh, when, when it came down to, when Liz knows what I'm talking about and the board member, members know what I'm talking about, when it came down to what they experienced, I didn't have to be subjective to that because of they had already, it brought attention to it because of what they went through. So when I got there that second year, uh, things were a lot different for me. And, uh, and of course, then, you know, where they placed me to where I was able to live. Uh, which is a friendship that I still have to this day because okay. of where I was able to live. Because I got there before the uh, before the end of the hustle, se- the season of the second year to play for the hustle. And that wasn't a possibility for me to get a place to live. So that I was placed in a home uh, with a family, which has made, been a, a major, major um, uh, friendship that I've developed over all of these years. Uh, so uh, but here again, what they went through, uh, prior to me getting there that their first year, the first year of the league made it easier for me that second year of the league. Let me, let's, let's, uh, we were our own, uh, me and Deborah were our own, we stood up for ourselves and I'll leave it at that. I wanna ask uh, Charlene or anyone else, because I, we're talking about the history and the disconnect. And I think a big part of this show is to educate people on the reality of what was off the court or even on the court in the stands and what still goes on today, uh, and people need to know those stories as well uh, in terms of how you were treated, um, you know, in terms of misogyny and racism and those types of things. And I think uh, people can learn from that aspect too. So I, I'd like that to be a part of the discussion. This is Trish Roberts. Um, 
my, my story is a little different because I went to two other colleges before I transferred to the University of Tennessee to play for Pat Summit. I was her first black athlete that she ever coached. And uh, before I transferred to Tennessee, Pat and I were on the first ever women's Olympic basketball team uh, where we won a silver medal. And uh, excuse me. <laughs> no, I, I brag on y'all. I've been bragging. I on told you. The history in this group. I'm sorry. Oh, Go ahead. Amazing. Yes. And um, the, I didn't feel any racism um, inside of the University of Tennessee Athletic Department. I mean, it was phenomenal. We had great crowds. Pat was great. She made sure that I was, you know, comfortable. But I remember specifically a time that we went and played at Ole Miss. And I remember going through the tunnel and they were throwing orange pillings at me um, and calling me the N-word. And it devastated, it was at halftime, it devastated me so bad that I could hardly play um, coming out of the huddle. And I made a gesture that follows me to this day. Um, and that gesture was, I was so mad. I, there was nothing I could do, so I shot a bird. <laughs> and um, that followed, I mean, that's like a story that they tell at Tennessee today. That followed me. And, you know, it's not something that you want to hear about and, you know, you were unsportsmanlike. But just the fact of how I was treated when I was at Ole Miss, and that was the only time that I ever experienced any type of racism as a ball player. Um, I just, I, I, I enjoyed my experiences at my college, uh, but once I left college, there was, there was nothing there. And um, for two years, I kind of wandered around until the WBL came along and I was drafted by the Minnesota Phillies. And, mm -hmm. um, that's how the story ended. And then I played two years at Minnesota. Well, I really didn't play because I injured my knee, but then they, they uh, put me on waivers and the St. Louis streak picked me up. And I had a phenomenal year at St. Louis. I was all pro and um, did, did, did pretty well. Well, I think your body of work speaks for itself. That's for sure. Being a, a part of the Olympic team, the first women's team uh, competing in the Olympics and uh you know, some would probably applaud you for flipping them the bird. Go ahead. How did, how did your teammates react, um, Trish? Well, you know, if anybody know Pat, they know she's real strict. She's real tough. She's one of those in-your-face, no-nonsense type coach. And she had always, um, you know, she'd always taught us about good sportsmanship. And because I did that, and uh, I think what made it worse was – one of our big alumni, I guess, big donors hmm. are, is the one that told her. And so, of course, I was punished for it. Um, hmm. I didn't start one game or something like that. And um, even though she knew how I felt, she knew I was upset. She feel, still felt like she had to do something, I guess, to please the alumni. I don't know. But, but did she ever, ever have? conversation with you about it though oh yeah she we always talked about it and uh one other experience that i had we had gone to a restaurant at a ball game we had stayed overnight and 
We got up to have our pregame meal, which was a breakfast. We went into the hotel uh, restaurant. Everybody got their food except me. And most of my teammates was done eating. And I still hadn't got my food. So when everybody else started leaving, then I got up to leave too, because I didn't want to just be sitting there being embarrassed. And I guess somebody must have told Pat, Trish never got her food. And Pat was devastated. I don't know what she did or what she said. But anyway, I know the, the manager brought my breakfast up to, to my, my uh, hotel room and I ate my breakfast there. And it's just oh. little things like that that I experienced. That wasn't a little thing. I'm sorry. Okay. Right. Absolutely was not a little thing. Retha, you want to jump in? Retha Swindell. Let's go. Hook them horns. I, I played for a good friend of Trish's coach, uh, Pat, uh, Jody Conrad, she's Hall of Fame coach. And she did not recruit me. Um, and matter of fact, she said she, when we talked about it, she said she hadn't been able to recruit a black athlete. Uh, and, you know, I never thought much about it, but I was recruited by Rodney Page, who is the, the first African-American uh, basketball coach at UT. And once Title IX was, uh, took effect and a lot of changes were made, he was, he was uh, fired and Jody uh, took his place. Um, Donna Lopiano was the athletic director at that time. Anyway, I just remember Jody saying that I, I've tried to recruit Black athletes. I just haven't been successful. And so that kind of became my job. I made sure we got more Black athletes at the university getting uh, some players from uh, Temple Junior College. But, mm. but it wasn't, she said, it wasn't that she didn't want. She just, uh, she just wasn't able to. But mm. I just... I just feel like, the, so some of the things they went through, I did not have to go through. And that's kind of been my story uh, through my career. I played high school ball with Deborah, who's also a member of the board. Uh, so she kind of led the way for me also. You know, she was uh, drafted into the WBL uh, first and I came that second year. So I've always had somebody as a buffer, you know, to uh, to soften anything I've gone through. So a lot of the things they went through, uh, I'm glad I didn't have to go through them. I thank them for, for being there in advance. Um, and I appreciate all the pioneers who, even though I feel, you know, I am also a pioneer, I appreciate all those that went before me that made it easier for me. Michael, can I say that Rita coached Teresa Weatherspoon, there's a name for you in high school. Uh, uh, but yeah, she coached Teresa Weatherspoon. Right. I, I meant to mention that, but I got I got caught up in <laughs> you know I got you. She's in every record book. Her accolades are kind of like Trish, I guess. They start, they just keep going on and on, and uh, she's still doing it uh, for the Pelicans. Uh, she's I don't I if you're familiar. She's assistant coach for the New Orleans Pelicans. Yep. And she's an awesome person. Um, just, a, a, just a, she's a great, she's a great athlete, but she's, a, she's just an awesome human being. Uh, she just loves people and loves helping people. And mm -hmm. I get excited when she sends me 
little clips of her working with those NBA players and how excited they are to work with her. Mm-hmm. And I and I guess it's just a way that we keep paying it forward. Yeah. I was just gonna say that that thing would be good. There you go, Rita. <laughs> Before we move on to DK, I just I just want to add that uh, I watched uh, an amazing piece uh, by the Longhorn Network, uh, and uh, Rita was interviewed by Charlie Collier, the former All-American at Texas, and it was just an incredibly beautiful piece about how Rita was the first African-American women's basketball player at Texas and how the first year that she played was the first year that they played full-court basketball in the women's game. And I didn't know that. So I found that just amazing. And, you know, because I knew that they played three on three back in the day, you know, you either had to choose to play offense or defense. And then there were places where they played six on six. So it was so different back then. And uh, it was just amazing to see your relationship with Charlie. Uh, You know, you've known her since she was a a young girl and you've been a part of their family's life uh, for so long. And just to see her now following in your footsteps, it was, it was just a great piece. So for those of you out there that haven't seen that a five minute piece, you can just Google it. It's uh, from the Longhorn Network, and it's the interview between uh, Retha and Charlie Collier. Elizabeth. DK, you want to piggyback us? She and DK played together in uh, high school. That's amazing. What are the odds of that? I know. Wow. I'm telling you all kinds of stories here. Charlene. Meanwhile, DK trying to come on. Trish was a senior in high school, and, and I played against her as a freshman in high school. Wow. Trish- Let's uh, toss it over to uh, DK. I- I'm throwing you the alley-oop. Okay. Well, first of all, like Ruth and I, we come from a small town. And I was the first to get a scholarship from uh, to a junior college. And I played at a junior college and made All-American there. Left from there, and I went to Stephen F. Austin on the Sugana. Sugana was, was a good coach. She was with Jody Conrad. She was with Patricia's coach, uh, I can't think of her name. At Summit, Fran Garman, they were all great. Summit, yeah, they were all real close, close friends. I can't think and, of her name. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have so much going on. And uh, I made All-American there. And from there, I, you know, just from the love of the ball game, I got drafted first round with Molly, uh, with the Iowa Cornets. And we played ball there. And, you know, the story from there goes on and on. You know, I'm just making it short. It was a struggle on some things, but we can get into that a little later. Yeah, thank you, DK. DK, DK keeps it short, but she she doesn't sell herself. She's a, an outstanding was an outstanding player in uh, college, high school, college, and with the in the league. Absolutely, Adrian Mitchell Newell. The floor is yours. My story's a little different, and. Um... You know, as far as, you know, racial tensions and stuff like that, I really was fortunate and blessed that I was recruited by Marion Washington at the University of Kansas, Mm. um, first black uh, coach there and athletic director. And I was one of her first two African-American scholarship players. Um, And actually, speaking of Title IX, she only had three that year. That was (laughs) 
1975. Uh, I was 21 when I went to college because, you know, in high school in Kansas City, you know, that is one thing. No one ever, my counselors, no one ever talked to me about going to college. I didn't think that was something that Black people got to do, you know. Mm -hmm. And I was a great student, you know. I didn't, you know, I don't think they had A's and B's. They might have had fives and fours then. But, um, <laughs> you know, they never talked to me about it. And uh, Coach Washington came to see actually someone else play at an AAU game I was playing in. And she liked <laughs> She liked my game. She liked the way I played. And so she talked to me after the game about Kansas University and would I be interested? And I'm like, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I was 21 then. I already had a child. I had a little girl by then. And uh, I still went up the following week and talked to her about it. And I got offered a scholarship, maybe about $600 or something like that, <laughs> you know, to pay for books and, you know, maybe a few other things. But, um, you know, she was there for me and she was there for all of our players. You know, we had a pretty diverse team. Um, so there wasn't a lot of, you know, racial tension there. And being the oldest, I was kind of like the leader there and the, and the other players looked up to me and you know came to me when they had issues or stuff like that so um just being with Marion and her knowledge like I think Liz and coach Washington formed the BCA together is that right Liz? Yes we were on the first I was the first director of membership for the BCA and coach Washington went on to become, we met in uh, Tacoma, all of us, that's where it was formed with the women and the men had met at the final four. And that was the beginning of the BCA. Yeah, yeah, but Marion was great. You know, we we had some Title IX issues, you know, where we got kicked out of the, off the court for the visiting team to come and practice for the men, <laughs> you know, and I mean, Coach Parson, she was fired up, but you know, what, what could we do, you know? we they were the men we were the women they had the options they had the money they brought the fans you know we, but you know she was successful um you know her first year of scholarships and she built every year uh two years after me Lynette Warner came in and uh you know we just built a, a great program from then on but before Lynette Woodard there was Adrian Mitchell Newell who was the second all-time leading scorer and rebounder in KU history, and her jersey is retired with only four women up there. Val, you had a question? Go ahead. I was curious about Adrian, how she managed having a, a child and playing college basketball. Well, I had a good support system, and uh, um, actually, my daughter came to school with me, and Coach uh, wow. Washington helped me get her in, you know, the right programs, daycare programs. And, uh, and I don't remember if it was the second year of school or if it was that same year, but uh, my daughter went and my, my sister kept her. My sister was in the Air Force and wow. she kept her on base while I was in school. And uh, so that's how we. The village. <laughs> yeah, it's just a village, you know. The track guys, you know, they helped me. The basketball <laughs> team helped me. You know, Coach wow. Washington helped me. <laughs> it was just, you know, it was it was a village. Everybody was was there for me. Yeah, but it, I mean, it wasn't easy. I, I can tell you that. 
while she was there with me, it really, really wasn't easy getting from practice and getting her from daycare. And yeah. there were times I didn't have a ride to get her to daycare. And so I had to, you know, it just, it just worked out. Yeah, it's amazing when you create a community and a support system, what kind of magic follows. It's, it's, oh, true, it's yeah. truly amazing. Are you, are you getting a theme here, Michael? Uh, every, all the guests, Pat Summit, Sue Gunner, Marion Washington, Fran Garman, uh, Jody Conrad. Um, these are, there's, there's a focus on these women because we were the players that helped jumpstart their careers. And those are, I mean, uh, Van Chancellor and Lynn Dunn for Peggy Gillum. Um, yep. So, so you look, you take, I would put that list against anybody's. And then Ann Myers is on our, our advisory board and she played for Billy Morris. So if you take that list of coaches, uh, this board played for those coaches were their first All-Americans, their first African-Americans, their first stars. So, uh, and uh, even, and Peggy and Shar's coaches may not have the name recognition, but they were outstanding coaches in their own right as well. What were you going to say, Judy? Make sure you include Tara on that list. Right, Val? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. Absolutely. Peggy, go ahead. Well, I went down a different road. I was attending Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff, Arizona. My parents were in Schaumburg, Illinois. I found out about the WBL when I came home for Christmas in my senior year. And my mother says to me, Peggy, they have a women's professional team here They're called the Chicago Hustle. I go, they do? Being out in Arizona, didn't hear anything. And we actually watched a game. I got to see one game when I was there, went back to Flagstaff and said, man, this is where I want to be. And how fortunate, and I'm very lucky, to be drafted by the Chicago Hustle in 1979 in the last round. That's okay. Part of the rookie class with Adrian and Retha. I mean, how special is that? I mean, I was just jazz and of course the local papers were building me up you know oh, here's a local i have and and retha got this for me is a video of me first time i've seen in 40 years five minutes of me playing with the chicago hustle and in that clip the announcer kept saying throwing the impound pass is peggy kennedy from schaumburg and he kept saying, Peggy Kennedy from Schaumburg. And I go, would he say Northern Arizona University? <laughs> That's where I came from. But I appreciate it. I was very humbled and very privileged to play. Even though I played one year, I was with the Milwaukee Does. I got traded and played under coach Larry Costello, who I just thought was a tremendous coach, um, for one year. And that was a special moment in, a, in my time. And I'm I'm very honored to be part of the Trailblazers and the Legends and where we're going with our organization, again, to pass it on, pay it forward, to recognize others and work with kids. And, and um, I don't know what else to say. I just very lucky. So. Did you feel more pressure being, being from that area and playing for the Chicago Hustle? Well, yeah, it was... Um, not knowing everybody, I just caught on a few names with the hustle during Christmas time, like the bandit. I go, who in the frick's the bandit? But anyway, um, the, the pressure was, I'm, I'm, I was drafted last. What are my chances? I was number 10. That's it. I was second to the last of the draft. 
what are my chances? And uh, our GM, Chuck Schreiber, was a godsend because when I made the team, he came up and said, I wanted to make sure you were on this team. And that made me feel, you know, again, that was like, wow. But that summer I played with the hustle players and talk about getting to know them and playing with them. That was even, that was even better. And I said to my parents the way home I'm after one of the games or summer games, I said, I've never played with this many superstars in my life. And I think that helped my game going into the camp in that first week of October, because I've been playing with them all summer long and got to know them and, you know, go out to lunch, go out to dinner, making appearances. So I think that that all came together perfect for me. So. I want to, I want to throw out a couple of things. And if somebody wants to jump in, if it resonates with you, then go ahead. So Muffin McGraw a couple of years ago said something that I thought was very interesting that men will advocate for men for jobs and they might have one day of experience and women typically they could have five years of experience. And if they don't check every single box that there's not enough advocating for women, uh, not only in sports, but in jobs throughout, you know, the world. And so I found it a, a fascinating uh, point of view. And so, you know, we've talked about a little bit of the disconnect. And so that's the, that's the first uh, question I have is, are we going in the right direction when it comes to uh, having more people advocate for women for jobs and in sport? And um, the, the other question I had was if, if somebody wants to talk about either one of these things, um, you know, coaching has changed, right? There's a, there's a, there's a new age generation and instant gratification kind of player, but a lot of old school coaches who understood how to grind, play street ball, you know, those types of things. And so do you, you said there's a disconnect, Elizabeth. So I don't know if maybe you want to jump in, but do you, do you see that we're going in the right direction in, in terms of these things and what Muffet was talking about? Elizabeth, go ahead. First, let me say Muffet played in the WBL. I don't know. If right. Yeah. That's but right. um, yeah, the, I, I think the disconnect comes from just, I, I would say from a racial standpoint, as well as a, a gender standpoint, when there's just not enough opportunity, and then you're put in a position to have to compete for this small group of opportunities. And uh, I think it lends itself to, to some entities or people being territorial. And, uh, and I'm speaking from experience. And so I think we've got to overcome that. And You've got that shirt on there, bet on women. You know, I think we've shown that women can get those things done and do those things. And when we get the support of other women, it makes it better for all of us. So, um, and the disconnect is gonna continue until we do that. Not just in sports, not just because that's one of the main things that drives us is connecting the dots to this history. That's gonna empower everybody. Um, I, I wrote something and it's like, um, I just wanted to read it. It's just, I, I think about it all the time. It said, the young people today, they carry our dreams with them, but do not speak our names. They feel uplifted, but do not know the source. They continue to soar to new heights, but do not know who gave them wings. And that's kind of like our battle cry. You know, you, and, and until we correct that, I don't see it, it changing 
or getting better. And that transcends gender, that's race, that's everything. So I'll yeah. let somebody else speak to that and, and speak to the uh, second part of your question. Yeah, I agree with you, uh, you know, and, and it's interesting, you know, when Becky Hammond is coaching men, and, you know, you mentioned earlier uh, with the Pelicans and, you know, Jen Welter and Colette Smith and the NFL, um, along with Jennifer King, mm-hmm. you know, and they've been on our show as well. And we seem to remember them differently than we do you all and the pioneers in, in the women's space. So I find that just interesting. We need to change that narrative. Well, whose responsibility do you think it is? This is a question we pose to ourselves and others. Is it the historians? Is it the broadcasters? Is it the generations themselves is it we have we're taking it on ourselves because nobody else is fighting this battle for us but we're in doing so we are we're getting people like you and uh and your group on our side who are going to help us tell this story but so i will put that question whose responsibility is it to go back and connect these dots and tell these stories i think it's happening now because of title nine there's so many documentaries of which we are in a couple coming up and we're still working on uh, our own documentary because you think these are stories. There are so many layers and so many stories to this league, to this group, um, that it's worthy of a documentary in its own right, even though we're part of a couple of others. Well, you can you can expound upon that, but, but there are strength in numbers. And mm-hmm. so when you have multiple layers speaking to something uh, as important as this, then, you know, you just take the NCAA as an example in this past year and how less than 48 hours the women got a weight room. Yes. And, you know, so there's there's just some things that have changed. And so there are strength in numbers. I, I just I'll just that's, leave it at that. That's what we're trying to build. We're trying to build that force to to help to help us tell our story because it is a story worth telling and it is a relevant story. Amazing. And just to chime in, it can really truly help the ones that are current because I see so much of us in you guys, which is exactly what you're saying, um, and you ladies. So it, it will help us tremendously. It gives us the, the blueprint right there in our faces. So, so yeah. well, this is Trish. Uh, I, I know another area where women, I feel, don't advocate for each other, and that's in the job market. You take a male coach who has had, who's done like illegal recruiting and have all kind of violations. They still have jobs. Exactly. They get fired at one school (laughs) and then they show up at another school. But you let women get fired and it's like they fall off the face of the earth. They don't get that second chance to get another job. And so, you know, I think that is totally unfair because, you know, you may, you may have a bad experience at one school where maybe the support wasn't there. And then you go to another school where you have all the support you need and everything, and you can be successful, but that just doesn't happen to women very often. Mm -hmm. Charlene, go ahead. But then in the same, in the same uh, sense uh, to Trish and the rest of the board, rest of the uh, podcast members, uh, the standard set for, female coaches is totally different for the standard that's set for male coaches. You know, you, you would give a male a contract for eight years and you might give a female a contract for three years. Now add to that a black female coach compared to a male coach or a black female coach compared to a white female coach. A white female coach might get a contract for five years, whereas a black female coach will only get a contract for three years. And then now, but bear in mind, 
that that female coach has to definitely be successful within those three years and uh, in order to be renewed uh, a contract after three years. So it, the standards are just so totally different, you know, whether it's a, it's a uh, gender, a female compared to a male or even a black female compared to a white female and so forth. Is that so still, that, that's still the case right now? Is that, is that really, I, maybe I'm just blind to that, that fact. I just didn't, I didn't know. I thought there, that we were going in the right direction, but I could be completely off base with that. <laughs> Adrian, were you going to jump in? in the right direction in, in, in some areas, like you said, you know, we got women coaching football and uh, women co coaching male basketball teams. Yes. But, you know, we talk all the time about where are the women coaches in women's basketball? Absolutely. You know, the majority of those are men. And we know there are women out there who can coach women's basketball. So, you know, we don't really know what's going on. You know, I, I know they want to coach. I know, you know, they're capable of coaching, but it seems like it's, you know, as soon as it became a big thing, uh, then there were the men. They were the coaches. That's who they wanted. You know, so there you, there you are again. Elizabeth, go ahead, jump in. Here's the thing, you guys, and whether it's Title IX or whatever it is, you have to have the, the men support the women in whatever they're they're trying to do and there are a lot i mean i'll was, I was throw doug bruno out there there are a lot of men coaches who do a great job and who are advocates for women and there's no bigger advocate for women than uh doug bruno um there are there are and, and there's and, a lot in the, in the nba now who are supporting women yeah and so my point is i do think there that there we we understand that those things are uh, are, are going to take time to change, but there is change and women are getting more opportunities. Uh, I'm not saying it's where we need to be, but mm -hmm. if you look at the, on the professional level, uh, you look at Don Staley just signing the, this huge That's contract. Awesome. I think there, I think, so I, I don't want to portray it as just totally not changed. We can't say it hasn't totally changed just because you you've improved doesn't mean you're where you need to be but you cannot say that there has not been some change in some recess. And I thought that Kobe Bryant's influence, you know, I thought he brought some change to women. Yes, he a did. Lot of Absolutely. Absolutely. Supporting women. They are support. So there is change. There is positive change out there. That's not that we're, you know, and there's, there's some great guys out there, you know, who are supporting women. And, uh, and I know Becky just took that Las Vegas job. Yes. Just so got the job. Well, I was only I was only highlighting the you know the fact of certain parts of the whole well, conversation. No, you're right, Shar. We're not absolutely. where we need to be. No, you're absolutely right. We're not where we need to be. We're not where we were, but we're still not where we need to be. But we got a lot of growing to do. There has been there has been improvement. There is still improvement in a lot of different areas. So as, as far as like the social construct, um, women have always been at the forefront, starting with the people before you that we talked about earlier, and then you all, and then the WNBA obviously uh, forced an owner out, changed two elections. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's been a very interesting couple of years since the murder of George Floyd. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just wondering, uh, you know, and that's part of why I pivoted with the show and why we've had so many women from the W. And you all uh, in particular on this show, I was raised by women. My daughter's 11. Um, 
you know, women have been instrumental in my life. I've been coaching women for 15 years now after being on the men's side for 15 years. And so, um, you know, obviously what the women did in terms of Kelly Leffler and uh, the elections was, were two of the things that will probably go down in history, the latter more than the first. Uh, historically, it was one of the most amazing things that I've ever seen, especially when Warnock was pulling at 9% when they got involved. Mm-hmm. And so what are your thoughts about where we are now in terms of advocacy? And, you know, do we, you talked about the men advocating and I've been highly critical of the NFL and their uh, unwillingness to do more, especially Tom Brady. And because let's be honest, this is a white issue. And if more white men don't advocate similar to what we were talking about earlier, and I wouldn't call myself an influencer, but I'm a layer. And if we don't get those strength in numbers and those powerful white people, the Jerry Jones, you know, whoever it is that we're talking about in these spaces, sports or entertainment, cannabis, it doesn't really matter. Then we're not going to move the needle as quickly as we need to. Elizabeth. I'll, I'll say again, um, the, the people who are in those positions to, to affect change or to, to influence others, you know, no war against racism or sexism or whatever it may be is won by the people who are the, the victims of those things. The, the battle isn't won by, by us alone. You have to have that support from those people in positions to make the change. So that's no different than what you're saying. I agree with you, you know, and, and those who are willing to step up and uh, you know, be a part of the change and be a part of the solutions. Well, we lost Ruth Bader Ginsburg last year. And you know, she said, if you're gonna be a true professional, you, you're gonna have to do something outside of yourself that makes life, you know, better for other people. For somebody else, yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, Pat Summit had obviously uh, a million things that she always talked about. Um, you know that that Trish talked about too. So you know the these women and you all are just incredible. And so I want to make sure that we tell everybody a little bit about Elizabeth Galloway McQuitter and her legacy to this point. Uh, she attended Temple Junior College and uh, UNLV, as we mentioned earlier. She played for the Chicago Hustle. And as I said in the intro, uh, her nickname was The Bandit. And that was uh, a moniker given to her by radio broadcaster Les Grobstein. Uh, She led the WBL in steals the first season and second on the all-time steals list at only 5'9". She also led the hustle in defensive rebounding during that inaugural season. Liz was less than a single rebound from averaging a double-double and finished with a 13.9.34 steals per game average during her time. She also coached Division I in high school basketball, and she is, as you heard earlier, the president of Legends of the Ball, a nonprofit aimed at telling the stories of past players and coaches. And so uh, just an amazing um, legacy that you've left so far and will continue to leave to promote the game of uh, women's basketball. And uh, she was inducted into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame in 2018. So... We wanted to make sure that we talked about Peggy Gillum-Granderson, who was not able to be with us today, 
a legendary women's basketball player and a board member of Legends of the Ball. And she played for the Dallas Diamonds of the WBL. She attended Old Miss. And she was WBL's all-time leading scorer and rebounder. She was an assistant coach for the WNBA's Houston Comets and an assistant for the 1990 United States Pan American team, as well as the 2000 gold medal winning women's basketball team. And her and her sister, who played at the University of Mississippi, uh, were both inducted into the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame and the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. And the University of Mississippi's Gillum Sports Center is named in their honor. Just uh, incredible. I mean, this board uh, truly is uh, an unbelievable collection of just inspirational and courageous women. And uh, wow, just to get to know all of you and, and learn about the history of the WBL, just truly incredible. And I can't thank you enough for coming here and sharing space with us and, and spending time talking about some of the stories that you all had to endure and giving us a better idea of what it was like back then. And we're going to do everything that we can to try and bridge this gap uh, to educate not only the girls as we approach the 50th anniversary of Title IX, but current professionals who don't truly know the history of professional basketball here in the United States. Uh, Val, do you have any questions before I ask them a couple rapid fire questions? We have to finish on, on a fun note or anything else that you all uh, want to talk about, you know, your, what ESPN is doing or anything else that's going on with you guys. I was, can I ask, uh, I would, before we leave and, and one thing that we're, we're so excited and happy to have a, a voice, we just want you to help us tell our story. You know, everybody, I think there's always this opportunity. And, and Judy, with the NCAA, that's one of the target groups. We go to the final four every year. Uh, we work with the WBCA. That was our first event as an organization. And the young coaches that we ran into were just thrilled to learn about this history. So whatever, we would love to ask you for your advice or your contacts or any way you can help us tell our story or send people our way. That's, that's what we would really appreciate. And Michael, this has been a great step forward in doing, in doing just that. So I would like to ask you guys for your help in just connecting the dots. Absolutely. Judy, go ahead. I can tell you that I'm involved with the NCA Gender Equity Task Force. I was one of the original members of the NCA Minority Opportunities and Interests Committee wow. in 1989. I'm involved with ESPNW. I'm involved with the Women's Sports Foundation. Oh, I'm wow. There with all of those groups. Oh, what my goodness. Today. It's really important. I just, texted her, I just texted Carol Stiff and asked her if you're going to be a part of the documentary that they're working on for yes. Title IX. And she said, yes, yes. that is a big part. So we are trying to connect the dots and you have fabulous stories that need to be told. I've really enjoyed hearing about them. Some of it makes me mad, but it's been <laughs> very helpful to me. You just listed every group that we are targeting. So that is just, uh, ESPNW and Annie Myers is on that board. We've been trying to get us at that table 
for the last couple, well, since our inception. And so we're really trying to get in this Title IX year uh, with them. So that is greatly appreciated. And see, you call Carol right off the, <laughs> and he <laughs> did reach out to us. So yeah. thank you. That, that is how this is going to, to happen. So thank you. Yeah, you know, the, anybody can connect dots. If you pay attention to your compass and your inner voice and you're following your calling and doing what you're passionate about. And it's really mm -hmm. interesting. I think I told Judy this before, but when I applied for a job at UCSD, Judy told me, sorry, but we went with another candidate. And to have, you know, uh, reconnected with her in a different way Mm -hmm. uh, now it's just it's just been amazing and just to you know hear what she just talked about and to 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 know that you know I put this on with Veiled and that that might help things is is truly you know an honor and that's what being an ally is about if you're going to be anti-racist yes. you have to be conscious and deliberate you can't just sit in your living room and say well I don't I don't see color you know you, you have to be conscious and deliberate in your actions to bridge these gaps and create equality. And so that's my call to action to everybody is, is be conscious and deliberate. I agree that, that you couldn't have said it better. Be conscious and deliberate right. with intentions and action. Elizabeth, thank you for that. Uh, Charlene, go ahead. Having coached the um, high school girls for 30 years, um, you know, that's something that I just really always try to keep in front of them uh, and remind them of, of the obligation that they have. And then of course, uh, I always tried to give them history about what we, uh, what we went through and others before us, uh, what they've gone through and how uh, the ones that have paved the way for them now, they need to show them respect and they need to be in the stands supporting the WNBA. They need to be there to su supporting the, the college uh, sports because that's what we need. Speaking of social media, there's an um, Instagram account called Highlight Her. I, I follow. Oh, you guys, have you been highlighted by them yet? No, but they're on our target list. I follow them. Can you help us with that? Who's that? Yeah, I, I, I actually, I'll tell you, Adrian, I follow them. Oh. I, um, her name is Ari. I, I can't think of her last name, but she mm -hmm. runs, um, runs that. Yeah, I comment on their posts all the time. Yeah. Do you have like a um, media kit or one pager I can send? We we uh, we will have that. We just hired a, a PR person, and that's one of the things we're working on is a media kit that's actually on her list. So we will have that very quickly. All right. So this is the last question. I'm gonna leave the stage for all of you to have a a, a parting word. And I'm going to tell you what that is as well. Okay, so you, all of you get to choose one person at the dinner table, past or present, dead or alive, but they cannot be anybody that you know. So you get to choose one person at your dinner table, and then that's who we're going to all have dinner with. Yeah. Theoretically. <laughs> okay. So mine is, um, boy, this is a tough one because I like I love. I love the uh, former first lady and, and the former president, but I'll, I'll go with Barack, President Obama. I'm uh, going with everybody's choice. <laughs> no, I'm going with Maya Angelou. Okay, Elizabeth goes with Maya Angelou. Oh, Maya Angelou, good one. Yeah. Adrian, who you got? Actually, I would love to sit down with Etta James. I just saw oh, wow. her and, you know, I love I'll go with I Nina Simone. Okay. Hey. 
Crystal, Crystal, you're an old soul. What you know about <laughs> Nina Simone? I'm definitely an old soul. I'm from I love great. it. Stuff, so. Yeah. I think I would old have soul with with John Lewis. Oh, good Wait, one. Yeah, uh, that's a great Who said that? Aretha? Aretha. Aretha said John Lewis. Mm -hmm. Peggy, who did you say? Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt. Wow. Because that's... Boy, this dinner table is going to be interesting. Um, <laughs> Trish, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I know y'all gonna laugh, but I'm gonna say Patty Labelle. Wow. I'm not gonna laugh. I, I love that's that. awesome. We gotta have some music. I say I'm I'm gonna say John Wooten. Oh wow. Oh okay. That was Charlene. Okay, interesting. Oh man, what a table between John Lewis and and John Wooten. Uh, John Wooten was an activist, also a former NFL player. Uh, he was an agent, an executive, co-founder of the Fritz Pollard Alliance. And he was good friends with Muhammad Ali and and uh, Jim Brown and uh, worked with the Cowboys and the Ravens. He was an agent, an executive. Uh, that That's that's an amazing choice. Wow. I've, I don't think we'll ever have that choice ever again at, at the dinner table. That's a great call. Judy hasn't gone either. Desmond Tutu. Wow. Oh, oh yeah. wow. That's a great one. Deborah, go again because we didn't hear you. I said Luther. Oh, Luther some more music. Okay. <laughs> Val started tilting her head. <laughs> I was had my Luther voice and <laughs> oh, absolutely. Wait, Val, did you go? I didn't go. I, I think um I'm gonna say Jesus. Oh, oh <laughs> yes. Who I want to yes. hang out with at dinner. Yes. Well, I hope yes. to see yes. him someday, Val. <laughs> yes, yes, that was awesome. All right, oh well, God, I'll, 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 uh, yeah, that was a great answer. So, okay, so we'll leave the floor uh, to, to Michael, all of you. I'm sorry, Michael. Who did Go you, ahead. Who did Judy say, Michael? I didn't hear what Judy said. Oh, Judy said uh, Desmond, Desmond Tutu. Tutu. Okay, that was Judy. Okay, I thought that was Deborah. Okay, okay. <laughs> So I just want everyone to leave with one parting thought um, that you know you want to share with the world, and uh, it can be anything that uh, you know, because the last couple of years have been hard. Uh, we're living in a new normal, aside from the other things that we've always had to navigate, and these spaces that we've talked about today are you know definitely challenging enough. But um, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are pivoting and showing a lot of agility. Uh, and so if it helps a couple of people, uh, I'm sure it'll help more, but even a, one or two people, if it resonates with them, maybe you'll save a life, maybe you'll motivate them, inspire them and show them that a small group of people never doubt it because they could change the world. And that's what you all have done. Mm -hmm. Always be the person that you want others to imitate. Mm. I love it. That was Charlene, okay. I have the four agreements have served me well in life and it's be impeccable with your word. Don't make assumptions. Don't take things personally and always do your best. It is so encapsulating for me and everything that I try to do. But I would also add to that, surround yourself with great people because they're going to be your support. They're going to be the ones that you need to through good times, bad times and everything in between. Absolutely. That was Elizabeth. And I think always be the best that you can be in, in anything and look out for people around you and just, you know, take care of each other, you know. Absolutely, that was Adrian. Oh, this is Trish, put, put God first in all you do and never think, never think more of yourself than you are. Mm. Oh, that was great, that was, 
humbling. That was Tricia. Yeah. Go ahead, Judy. You just say be kind and persist. 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 Absolutely. Mm -hmm. If you fall down, pick yourself up and move on. And that's what my parents used to say. So I follow that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Deborah? All I was going to say was keep God first because uh, I'm a living witness of that. Saved mm -hmm. my life a couple of weeks ago. So, hey, wow. trust God. That's right. Amen. I would, I would say, say you get what you give and give a lot of love. Uh, we, need, we need so much love right now, I think. I think it can, the only way we can defeat hate is with love. And I know it's hard to love some. Yeah. So you, you just got to, that's the only way that I can see. That's right, Rita. 100% Val. Oh, you want to hear from me? Well, of okay. course. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was going to say we are the average of, well, if I was not going to be called on, I was thinking we are the average of the five people, of the five people we mostly hang out with. So think about who you have in your company. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Crystal. Oh, I like that, Val. I like that one a lot. Um, I would just piggyback off this whole meeting and say stand together. Uh, we all have the same fight and offer each other grace. Oh, this is as, so well as, as well as yourself. You know, that's just uh, to speak on that point. You know, I, I didn't really understand the meaning of giving people grace. But since mm -hmm. but since this whole two year period has started, uh, it's so important that we do that and 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 give people a little bit of time to, you know, understand them and understand each other and find some middle ground. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't think you're ever going to get. Well, I shouldn't say ever, but it's difficult to get people to come all the way to your side. But if you can find a right. place, a point in the middle where you both can maybe find some common ground. Oh, man. Fascinating. Uh, I can't believe we, we got most all of you on the on the board and uh, for you to take time out on New Year's. Like, man, you could be doing anything. <laughs> Did that last night. No, let me say I wouldn't <laughs> I passed out. So I don't know. Oh, this yeah. board is amazing. It's a great group of women and I boast about them. And I, I'm just happy that uh, we have uh, this organization has kind of been uh, a resurgence for us, reconnect for us. And so what what what's going on with the documentary? You want to talk about that at all so that people can look forward to it? Certainly. <laughs> Well, as, as we said, and then uh, just so you know, Judy, we are going to be in the 50 for 50 in the 1996 documentary, but we have signed with the producer for our own documentary. Um, there's just so much to tell. I think the stories are compelling. It's, his, it's history. It's, um, it's life stories. You know, you, get to, you, you can see from each board member, everybody has a, their own personal story to tell that somebody's gonna connect with. We are no different than that young group of WNBA players, um, some older, some younger, we're no different. And when we started and had a dream and got the chance to play and we came from all different backgrounds. Our stories are the same, you know, just different eras. So we, we are looking forward to trying to get that story told. Our producer is working on that now. So um, get the word out. <laughs> Yep, and we'll keep everybody updated and truly, truly an honor to be surrounded by so many amazing women. 
And uh, Crystal, I can't thank you enough. You know, obviously Crystal's going through some things to, you know, reinvent herself. And, um, you know, I, I, I personally and the sports deli are in full support of her. And uh, anything we can do, like, uh, you know, Trish talked about, she made a mistake and everybody makes mistakes and everyone deserves yes. a second chance, especially when your body of work speaks for itself and people yes. know you, who your authentic self really is. Yes. So Crystal, we support you. And Crystal, let us know if there's anything we can yep. do to support you. Sure. Thank Absolutely. you so much. I got y'all names now. Crystal. All right. <laughs> I got y'all names. <laughs> I'm going to do my history first, and then I'll come to you as a woman. <laughs> and I follow Val. Val is Val has a very funny, um, <laughs> some very funny posts. So I'm on. I'm on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> I I've wake up every them. morning I've on TikTok. Them, <laughs> oh, you do? Yes. Yeah, I follow you. I am Coach Val, all one word. I am Coach Val. Check her out. She's got amazing content. I follow her, yeah. She's had yeah, some unbelievable posts lately. And, you know, yeah. some of her uh, posts have gone viral with, uh, you know, talking about dunking and whether the rim should be lowered and all Oh, we didn't talk of- about that today. We're still <laughs> talking about that. Yeah, well, I know. Okay, we'll, we'll finish we'd with love one to fun come question. Back. <laughs> yeah. So does anyone think the rim should be lowered? I don't. Yeah. No. 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 Nope. No. Nobody. All right. Well, there's your consensus, Val. I'm in the minority. <laughs> Follow back. Let me say Follow this, Michael. Now. You know, oh, Michael, you're talking okay. about equipment for women. You know, that ball was in, uh, designed by, we debuted the smaller ball. That's one part of that history. We need Karen Logan. Oh, yeah. I think I, I, think I knew that. Designed that smaller ball that everybody thinks started in the WNBA. They had the panel oh. ball. Ball the 28.5 was debuted in 1978. Karen Logan made a pitch for it before that to the AIAW Pat and all those women, uh, Miss Garman, my coach, they were all against the smaller ball. Hmm. And uh, so, but um, she felt that equipment should, so just on your point, the women's tennis racket, the women's golf clubs, all those, their equipment is different and geared toward women. And uh, a lot of people were against the, the ball because we played with the men's size ball when we were growing up. Wow. Did. I did too. That ball revolutionized the game, but I, I was in favor of that ball, that adjustment, but I'm not for, for the rim. But Liz, I think the one reason all those coaches um, were not in favor of that smaller ball was because all those coaches that you just named, uh, Sue Gunner, uh, Pat, uh, they coach international basketball and mm-hmm. the international play with the bigger basketball. Mm-hmm. So they would have to make that adjustment. Yeah. I, and I, I recognize that Trish. And then what happened though, was everybody changed. So, uh, yeah, yeah. But, Eventually but, they did. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I know that Miss Garman has told me that and how they were all, cause they were all international coaches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good point, Trish. Well, continued good health and, uh, success to all of you and, and, uh, man, just an, just an amazing testament to the past and, and where we're headed. And I just can't wait to see where things continue to go. You know, you talked about the NBA celebrating its 75th anniversary, and we know more about the history there. And so I guarantee you, when we catch up in 50 years, that people are going to know all about you just in the same way they know about Wilt, and Larry, and Kobe, and Magic, and all of them. And it started with you all. And uh, tr- like I, get, I said earlier, humbling and truly honored to share space with you all. Thank you so much. Thank, for you. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you. All right. Happy New Year. 
There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. And, and, and I would, would like Go to ahead. connect to all of you. So I'll be reaching out to uh, all of you, Judy, Val. <laughs> Absolutely. Anything we can do to connect, connect those dots. Thanks, Crystal. I'll talk to you soon. Much love to Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Bye, Happy Bye. Bye everyone. Thank Thanks, you, Bob, for getting Thanks, on. Bye. That was amazing, ladies. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. All right, All right, amazing stuff, ladies. Thank you so much. I know you're Michael. All right. Oh, well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. The first ever professional women's basketball players in the history of the United States. We hope you enjoyed sharing space with us. Uh, fascinating conversation. We were so honored that Crystal Bradford from the WNBA, and uh, she'll be signing with the club uh, soon probably after the January 5th uh, date in, when, in where they can start signing contracts for the 2022 season. And Judy Sweet, the first ever female president of the NCAA and first ever female athletic director in the history of UCSD. Uh, again, grateful that both of them and honored that they joined us here today in the Sports Deli, where everyone deserves a seat at the table especially, man, those incredible women. So for Dr. J and Coach K, I'm Hootie Hoot. Again, special thanks to Val Whiting, former two-time All-American, two-time national champion, and ABL and WNBA star for co-hosting with me today. This commercial-free episode of the Sports Deli Podcast has been a production of Hootie Hoot Productions. And if you want more information about Breaking Tea, PSK Collective, City Lokes, Sport RX, or Moolah Kicks, feel free to send me an email to thesportsdeli at gmail.com for more information about our sponsors and for your special Sports Deli discount. And remember, Black Lives Matter, Stop the Asian Hate, Stop the bullying. Please contact your local and state politicians for any individual or group that you feel are being marginalized. Remember, there are strength in numbers and it takes a village. And until next time, Happy New Year. Much love, everyone. <laughs>